0: Hello, I'm Colin Miller, CEO at the Bracken Group, and this is Fractals. Ten questions with thought leaders in the life science industries. Bracken is the professional services firm for life sciences and digital health organizations. Our intelligence ecosystem fulfills consulting, regulatory, marketing, and analytics needs with an integrated strategic approach. In today's conversation, we're exploring medical affairs and radiopharmaceuticals, something to which I'm no stranger myself, but I have a wonderful expert guest, Dr. Deepak Beera who's a senior partner here at Bracken. Deepak draws his background as a nuclear medicine-trained physician-scientist to drive strategic advancements in the clinical development and medical affairs across the clinical, academic, and pharma biotech spheres. Deepak consults with a variety of industry leaders in nuclear medicine and radiopharmaceuticals and his key areas of focus include clinical development strategy, marketing, positioning and product launch and evaluating new technologies for product market fit, development status and investment potential. Deepak, it's a pleasure to have you here and welcome.
1: Thank you, Colin. It is an honor to be here, especially on this platform, which uh, emphasizes collaboration, creativity, and problem solving and and the entire ecosystem that we have built at Bracken.
0: There's a constant thread throughout your career. You focused on pairing two objectives that might actually seem to be at odds, driving better health outcomes for individual patients, while at the same time generating value. What are the crucial components for a project that aims to meet both objectives? And, and how do you make such a project successful?
1: Yeah, Colin, it's funny you bring this up. Uh, you, we, we're trying to juggle two very different balls, but uh, it's a different way to think about it. It's, it's like multitasking on a busy day, right? But in healthcare, we got all these other stops to make meeting the needs of doctors, insurers, regulators, investors. Scientists, this entire entire there's so many stakeholders around here, so, so all these other stops to make in essence it's all about understanding everybody's needs, making sure they all fit together in a single common thread and and you you navigate your map and pathway throughout the entire development process. it doesn't compromise our main objective, which is essentially helping the patient, but it is finding that a complex route of uh, of innovation and development. Uh, while continuously ensuring that the primary goal is always in sight.
0: I also sometimes look at it as um, the difference between in healthcare from treating the individual patient to the global aspect of the impact we can have on health at a wider level. And I guess that's that's another part to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. That juggle always has to be tough. As a treating physician, you've got a patient in front of you, but you're also having to think of the wider picture. And how do you juggle that in your mind?
1: I don't think it's a juggle really. It's merging the two really that, uh, that makes the difference. There are needs from the patients uh, which, which uh, you can, need to be translated to how a drug is developed and positioned and created in the, the entire thing, which essentially serves the need of the patient. So that, that entire strategy is geared towards helping the patient. So they they don't they are not mutually exclusive they are actually integrative.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Then, without breaching confidentiality, can you share an interesting and or unexpected finding as part of a client's project?
1: You know, during some of my early forays into commercialization, soon after I I left Sanford and moved into the industry, you know, it makes you realize that. Um, Sometimes the data that we collect and the guidelines we follow, and these are written in for ideal situations and can be very difficult to follow in the real world. Right? For example, um, in, in one of my client's projects, I learned that the patients going to academic centers receives a biopsy much more frequently than those patients who go to non-academic centers for their treatment. And this kind of fact isn't taken into account while developing the drug, uh, but you know, interestingly, it, it, it was an imaging drug <laughs> because I'm in radiopharmaceuticals. So it, since it was an imaging drug, it actually turned out to be advantageous as a feature to have and as, a, as an additional potential use. However, since this wasn't realized early on in development, you know, this wasn't the original goal of the clinical trials, the evidence generation for this particular uh, product. So the data that already existed was insufficient to justify the use of the product Without an adjunct biopsy, so you know it—it it, it drives home the point, I guess, that you know this is this is an interesting uh, realization or finding that you get that the end goal needs to be defined really well for us to develop the pathway, and, and surprises can appear anywhere, and and we may have to you know uh, recalibrate our or redirect our efforts to match those goals, which, which we hadn't realized earlier. It's an interesting and unexpected finding and certainly a very good learning experience.
0: That is a, is a fascinating example. And sort of really leads me to my my next question, which is, you know, when we consider how clinical trials are managed, I know you also have a deep desire to consider how some of these are reshaped. That's the, the understanding that you've just presented. But what are some of the key changes you'd like to see and which technologies could have the most impact towards those changes, perhaps even in the next five to 10 years?
1: There are a lot of ways to improve clinical trials, but I'll try to focus on a few here, just highlight a few actually. You know, clinical trials are an advanced care option. There is a chance if you get on a trial that you're getting better care and better treatment option. Plus participants in clinical trials are more closely observed, so they receive much better medical attention. And that's why patients in clinical trials have better medical outcomes than those outside of clinical trials. And this is something to consider. The trials as an advanced care option In my opinion, we should be able to offer clinical trials to anybody and everybody who would want to be a participant. Right now, however, clinical trials are limited mostly to research sites like academic centers. That means about 80% of patients who go to non-research sites and clinics don't have access to clinical trials. What I would like to see, I'd like to see more community physicians, practices, and hospitals participate so that all patients can have access to these benefits and and technology can absolutely help improve clinical trials it can make operations much more efficient coordination easier can help decentralize trial procedures and data collection we have already started to see the benefits of these advances especially in the covid post-covid era and during covid era as well and they certainly have the potential to revolutionize the way clinical trials are conducted and finally i think we need to take into account the prevalent clinical practice when designing clinical trials Right now, trials are driven mostly by scientific and regulatory evidence needs, but clinical practice is also influenced by factors like available facilities, uh, available expertise, social, economic, cultural considerations, which should be reflected. We need to include diversity not only in clinical trial participants, but also diversity in clinical trial designs.
0: Yeah, I can see where you're going, the uh, the design in particular. And I guess a couple of follow-up questions from that is you stated earlier on that you would hope that more trials were available at uh, community hospitals so patients had access to them. But also you're involved in radiopharmaceuticals and on the diagnostic side, testing out a new radiopharmaceutical diagnostic has no benefit for the patient in the early stages. So how do you influence them to participate in that kind of study.
1: If the diagnostic has a true diagnostic potential of a true diagnostic benefit in the long run, many patients would be willing to even know what what their uh, tumor or, or condition or disease state looks like. And, and I've seen that time and again. The patients are uh, interested even learning what that looks like, even if it doesn't translate into a, a clinical benefit. Of course, that depends on the severity of the disease and the urgency of the next step. So typically, if there is enough time, most patients are altruistic enough to donate their time and, and, uh, and become a test subject for many of these diagnostic tests. Again, because they are diagnostic, there's potential of very low harm as well. And that's another factor that comes into play when, when you think about it. As an example, when I was looking at a particular trial of a rare disease diagnostic, the, the interesting aspect is patients who would not benefit from this diagnostic test because their condition is already known. This test is simply looking at whether they have this condition or not and where exactly uh, is the target in the body. They still went ahead and participated in, in droves, actually. were very enthusiastic in participating in the trial. Uh, simply because it gives them a visual picture of where the disease is in their body, as opposed to knowing through a blood test or something else or pathology where they don't really get to see what, what exactly is going on. It didn't lead to any intervention at the moment. This is a very early diagnostic, but just knowing, okay, this is where the distribution is, was useful to them.
0: Your point is well, well made. I hadn't considered that, that the fact that you can then go and show the patient the image and say, hey, this is the image of you with this new diagnostic. I think more people would jump at that opportunity. Hey, not only am I helping science and medicine and technology, I'm potentially helping future patients with my disease, whether it's rare or cancer or, or whatever, it, which, which really leads to sort of a, another thought process, thinking specifically of, of radio pharmaceutical development. You know, what does success look like in the early stages of such a project and how do you measure it? Overarching wise, if you add up all the pieces that we've just discussed, from your perspective, what does success look like?
1: It's it's like peeling an onion one layer at a time until we understand the product and its application as best as possible. And from that point of view, I see radiopharmaceutical development and again this also applies to drug development in general, as a stepwise de-risking program. Early on, I think what I would like to see in a program is work towards the confidence that the product works, that the pharmaceutical works, understanding the confidence that the product works early on in preclinical and ex vivo scenarios. If we have that confidence, I think the next point to look at would be having a, a clear product profile and a clear development strategy as a whole. Fairly early on, it's very important, I think, at least in my mind, to have that picture of what we are aiming for. Even if the entire, the granular level pathway or steps aren't uh, defined yet, but at least a very big picture of what what is our product eventually going to look like in the market, taking into account the scientific, technical, logistical, adoption, competition, market dynamics, everything, everything that you can think of. Like we discussed earlier, mapping out that path, how to get to that point while achieving all of the other goals.
0: Yeah, success is is as you said, multifactorial. One of the aspects that, to me, is uh, a measure of success, is can you even meet your timelines? And I know that happens to be one of the areas that uh, you've you've had some involvement in and you're you're engaged in. I think a lot of products have died. Good products have died because either the trial was poorly designed or so complex you couldn't recruit patients um and you're asking too many questions and then the timelines get extended and extended and the runway the financial runway for that product is is run out and so when you pair everything back uh success is uh in many respects hitting it on target as well and getting it in the timelines and maybe peeling back some of the details that are not needed and and really sticking to the, the central core. So my sense of success and part of it is, can we do it on time? Would you agree with that as well?
1: Absolutely, and well said, right? Success means different things to different people. In addition to getting that, the target goal or features of a product, uh, the technical, scientific, clinical parts, it's important to maintain the operational, the budget, and the timelines and quality as well. If we aren't able to meet the timelines, programs will just perish.
0: I'm going to sort of market launch and positioning for a market launch, what does an integrated approach mean to you and for your clients?
1: If we have developed and launched a product with an integrated approach, when it resonates much more with its intended audience, it's like crafting a tailor-made suit you have research you have development if regulatory but you also have market uh, you have payer considerations you have adoption what do physicians and and patients think about your product and what matters to them you also have to understand and figure out how do you establish hospital formularies, what is the supply chain of manufacturing, and getting all of these pieces and many more, all of those come into picture to make a market launch successful. And I think really for our clients, this means a few things. You know, One is efficiency. Instead of working in silos where let's say R&D does its thing, marketing does another, sales does another. Here we are all at the same page. We can then adjust where do we want to spend time or money or, or manpower where they are needed most and can make the most impact. One important factor is mitigating risks. If we are able to have this entire picture, the integrated approach, we, we will be able to foresee and, and challenges and again, navigate around them.
0: When you approach a, a launch with a team, is it key critical to spend a, a period of time doing risk evaluation and risk mitigation?
1: It is very important. The criticality depends on the risk itself. Typically, if the risks are critical, uh, they are quickly apparent.
0: Yeah, it's um, part of the challenge, I think. So so again, changing gear, because you live and work in this highly regulated environment. You've got the structured world of medicine and the... uh, regulatory environment which is highly structured and yet you're you're involved working with the innovative and dynamic realm of commercial value creation so now you've got sort of three or four different orthogonal directions that are pulling you in in different ways how do these worlds influence you
1: in your work how do we remain creative while staying within the guardrails of, uh, of a structure and, and need compliance and regulations and a process to be followed. They reduce the risk of making mistakes. Having said that, there's enough room to find that sweet spot, which, which eventually creates the maximum potential commercial value. So as an example, what drives these commercial interests can be translated to evidence needs What evidence do we need to satisfy those driving motivations of the commercial sector? And these evidence needs can then be incorporated into clinical trial designs so that we can generate that evidence, which will support the evidence needs and which will support the commercial aspects of a particular product, right? And this this clinical trial designs are operated under a highly regulated environment. So translating one through the other and communicating back and forth between the two areas are it's still remaining in the, within the guardrails. It, it is it is a balancing act, but oh, quite an exhilarating one.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. I can hear that. Going into a different realm, if you were given $100 million to invest in industry or society, where would you invest it and why?
1: <laughs> I would actually uh, split the $100 million into two as we develop healthcare and life sciences, we are also becoming more and more and more specialized, with each function becoming more and more separated from another, and it becomes difficult to understand another, which is kind of actually interestingly why I enjoy being with Bracken, because there's so much interconnectivity, so much overlap, so much working together. The silo ness, which I notice in many companies, does not exist at Bracken. Uh, but going back to what what I would invest in is develop the bracken culture everywhere, not only in this industry part but also another fifty million in enhancing soft skills or cross functional skills in our education system and i 'm not talking about subject matter expertise uh, but rather for example, um, the ability to frame questions to listen to empathize the ability to dive deep deep into granular levels as well as swing right out all the way to a 30,000 foot view for the big picture, the ability to strategize, the ability to solve uh, problems regardless of subject matter expertise and, and going outside of um, you know one's comfort zones. When I see the world where we are headed in the coming world of self-driving cars, robots, chat GPT, blockchain, connected machines, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, uh, you name it, right? accessing knowledge and information and that subject matter expertise has become less and less important. know will become less and less important technology may be able to take care of more of our mundane tasks increase efficiency in our operations to a large extent however the skills that allow us to put such tools in the right context becomes a skill that we may need to learn
0: so going back to the clinical trial question part of your answer you you were suggesting that you'd like to have access i think we all would for, for more patients to have access to clinical trials because of the potential benefit that they, they may gain. On the flip side is all clinical trials, by definition, should be in equipoise. And therefore, we're not certain that at any one moment in time that that for that particular patient, that is the best treatment. How do you wrestle with that when you're approaching patients?
1: We have to keep in mind that trials to the extent possible should not be harmful to the patient so do no harm stays topmost and with that in mind there is either upside or there is status quo and that's the driving understanding here you either get a placebo or or you get the drug study drug you either get standard of care or you get something that has the potential of being better than standard of care, you don't deny a patient's standard of care in favor of a particular trial. So this is, this is where we, again, have to think about all stakeholders and, and the strategy comes into play, the, the whole picture comes into play that you cannot, even in the context of a trial, do harm to a patient. And we design the trial so that we achieve the evidence which will take us to the next stage Establish some degree of efficiency so that you know you, you're now able to say yes, there is a, a reasonable probability of benefit to the patient if they get into the trial. Besides that, by the way, if let's assume there is no benefit, just by virtue of being on the trial, a patient is much more closely monitored. All of their you know the various visits and, and uh, tests that are done, even if they are standard of care, are done as opposed to, let's say, 30% of standard of care tests are not done. I mean, how, how often do I go for my uh, annual checkup? <laughs> but if I were in a trial, and my trial required an annual checkup, I would go for an annual checkup, right? And, and that's the point. So you have a much better care. You're closely monitored as a part of a trial. So if the trial takes the patient away from their best possible care, then we don't enroll them in the trial. Hmm.
0: Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you. That, that uh, puts it uh, wonderfully into context. The, uh, every patient basically getting a supercharged standard of care. And uh, yeah. what a great yeah. summary. I'd like to ask you a final question, which is, if you could speak with yourself at the age of 25, what advice
1: would you offer yourself? Which is close to 25 years ago. Wow. Okay, <laughs> uh, So one of the things would be be comfortable in discomfort. You, you don't build strength or stamina unless you stretch yourself and, and go beyond your comfort zone uh, to, towards that uncomfortable zone, right? So whether it be biking or, or exercise or math skills or whatever it is, and similarly in life in general, I think it is okay to be uncomfortable at times in your profession, in, in the projects that you do. The second is listen. I mean, really listen. And this is a skill I wish I had developed earlier. And I'm not sure that I have honed it to the best I can, even now, for that matter. And some people might be naturals, actually. But I think this is a skill that can be learned. And I wish I, someone had taught me this a uh, long time ago. And they don't teach this in school, which is why I put that 50 million in that school, right?
0: Uh, that's brilliant. That's a very clever insight. I uh, really appreciate that. So uh, thank you. Deepak, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a fascinating conversation and uh, wander through clinical development, radiopharmaceuticals, and a little bit of philosophy and selling. So thank you.
1: <laughs> thank you, Colin. This was, this was a wonderful session. Certainly, I, I enjoyed every, every bit of it.
0: Fractals is brought to you by Bracken, the professional services firm for life sciences and digital health organizations. Subscribe to Fractals via your preferred podcast platform. Visit us at thebrackengroup.com or just reach out to us directly on LinkedIn. We'll be delighted to speak with you. I'm Colin Miller, wishing you sound business and good health. Thanks for listening.